All right, good morning. Uh, this morning we are still in a period of time where we are preaching standalone sermons. We are in between series. Uh, two weeks ago we finished a kind of a focus in our church where we talked about doubt for four weeks in a row. And then, um, Lord willing, next week we're going to start a new series. And so last week and this week is sort of just like, I don't know, sermonal no man's land where we just, you know, the sermons don't necessarily relate to one another. They're just standalones until we get to the next thing we're going to do. So uh, last week the topic of the sermon was spiritual gifts. And this week, the topic is Thanksgiving. Uh, Thanksgiving is what we're going to be talking about. And before I get started, I want to go ahead and note that there are two definitions for the word Thanksgiving. All right? It's going to come up on the screen. Thanksgiving is a noun. And number one, it means the expression of gratitude, especially to God. And number two, in North America, an annual national holiday marked by religious observances and a traditional meal, including turkey. Um, the reason I put this up here is because I would guess that 95% of the time I hear anybody use the word Thanksgiving, they are using it in, in the way, in the sense of definition number two. I rarely hear anyone use Thanksgiving for definition number one. We use words like gratitude or, or thankfulness. And almost any time I hear someone say the word Thanksgiving, they are referring to the annual national holiday. Um, and so that's what I think most of you think about. And so I'm, when I talk to you today about nine truths about Thanksgiving, I just want to let you know definition number two is not what I will be talking about. Okay, definition number one. Um, those of you who are familiar with the Bible, um, you know, especially those of you who are familiar with like the age of the Bible, you will know that the Bible um, predates definition number two, right? The Bible is much older than Thanksgiving, so the Bible does not mention definition number two, Thanksgiving. Um, however, the Bible does address definition number one, Thanksgiving, and it addresses it over and over and over again. Many, many times throughout Scripture, we will, you see definition number one, Thanksgiving. And so that's what I'm going to preach to you about today. And I'm hoping that learning definition number one, Thanksgiving, will be good for you in general. And I hope that it will also prepare you for definition number two, Thanksgiving, that is coming in a week and a half. So um, today I want to present to you nine truths about Thanksgiving. And we'll put the first one up on the board and we'll just get started. Okay, nine truths. And I don't often do nine-point sermons. I don't know if any of you are nervous. Um, I, this, I almost never do nine-point sermons. So this will either be um, a real treat or something else. So point number one. Thanksgiving is not just for special occasions. I want to start off with that, especially because of definition number two, Thanksgiving. It's easy to mix those two things up. Thanksgiving is not just for special occasions. The verse that I picked here, and this is what we're going to do, all of the, um, all of the truths that we learned today are all going to have corresponding scriptures. And so I wanted to show you 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18. The Apostle Paul, at the end of his letter that he was writing to the Thessalonians, had sort of this kind of random list of just commands that he gives them, and this is one of them. He says, give thanks in what? In everything. Give thanks in everything. Some Bible translations translate this, give thanks in all circumstances, right? Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. When are you supposed to thank God? What are the things you're supposed to thank God about? Everything. When is the time of thanksgiving? All the times, all the times, right? Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you. Uh, for the Christian, Thanksgiving is not just a holiday, it is a year-long lifestyle. And it's important for you to understand that because um, to not live that way is an indicator that there is a problem with your relationship with God. And you may go, well, how would you know that? Well, you know that because you could already figure that out just by thinking of a different situation that's similar to it. So I want you to imagine this. Imagine if you have a friend and you say you really care about that friend. And I want you to imagine that you care about that friend once a year 
on their birthday, okay? Whenever their birthday comes around, you're like, this is a special time where we honor, you know, Bill, right? And we give gifts to Bill, and Bill, you know, this is the time of year that we are nice to you and we care about you. But if you do not care about him the other 364 days of the year, would that not be an indicator there's a major problem with your relationship with Bill, right? If you ignore him the rest of the year or if you mistreat him the rest of the year, the once-a-year observance is meaningless, right? And so it would be with a once-per-year observance of thanksgiving to God, right? And, I, and I'm not saying you shouldn't celebrate Thanksgiving. If you go, oh, I didn't even know the pastor would be against Thanksgiving. I'm not. I'm all for Thanksgiving. Eat whatever you want to eat. Have a great time. I'm all for you celebrating your friend's birthday, too. Have a good time there, too. I'm just saying celebrating your friend's birthday and ignoring him the rest of the year is a waste of time. And so it is to have a once-a-year observance where we thank God, and then I'll thank you some more next year at this time, right? That, that would be an indicator there's a, there's a problem, in your relationship. And so for the Christian life, we've got a lifelong year-round lifestyle called Thanksgiving. It is not just for special occasions. Number two, Thanksgiving is God's will. Now for this point, I'm just going to use the same exact verse, but I'm just going to focus on the second half of the verse instead of the first half, right? So in point one, we focused on give thanks and everything, but for this one, Thanksgiving is God's will. We'll just read the whole verse. Give thanks and everything for this is what? God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So as Paul was communicating to these Christians, that's what he wanted them to know. All the times are for Thanksgiving. Why? Because this is God's plan for your life. This is God's desire for you. Number three, God created things for us to thank him for them. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but I think there are things that God created, and one of the reasons he created the thing is so that you would look at that thing and go, oh, that thing's great. Thank you, God, for that thing. So here's the verse. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. They forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods that God created to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. This is Paul's words to Timothy, and I need to give you a little bit of context because it starts off a little weird, especially when you read it out of context. They forbid marriage. What is that about? That's about Thanksgiving? No, this is not about Thanksgiving. This is a whole other thing. So the verses that came just before this, when you say they forbid marriage, who's the they? Um, it was talking about a group of false teachers. There were a group of people that in the paragraph just before this one, um, as Paul was talking about it, he uh, said that they were people who had departed from the faith and they follow the teaching of demons. So that was the description. He's saying, there are these people that you need to not listen to, right? They have departed from the faith. They follow the teaching of demons. And then he said, now here's the teaching of demons that they do. They forbid marriage. One of the things that they say is, hey, you're not allowed to, uh, like, if you really love God, don't get married. If, really, if you really want to be in a relationship with God, don't get married. And another thing that they said don't do is that they, said they demand abstinence from foods. Like there were certain foods that they're saying, no, no, if you're a really good follower of God, you do not eat these foods. Now, what's interesting is, the way that Paul describes the foods. He says they demand abstinence from foods that what? what what's, what's true about these foods? That God created, that's interesting, God made the food. He, he, God created it to be received, right? He didn't just make it and then we figured out, oh, I can eat this. No, he created it to be received with what? With gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. That Paul was saying one of the reasons God made some of the stuff that he made is so that you would take it and put it in your mouth and chew it and swallow it and go, oh, that is so good, and then thank him for it. That's one of the reasons he made it. All right, number four. Thanksgiving is supposed to be an attribute of someone walking with Jesus. It's supposed to be an attribute of someone who's walking with Jesus. Colossians 2, starting in verse 6, says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, in the, uh, Christ Jesus the Lord, Walk in him, 
rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, overflowing with gratitude. So as he describes, he's talking to these Colossian Christians, and he says, those of you who, have, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, those of you who believe in Jesus as your Lord, you should, and then he gives a bunch of metaphors. The first one is walk in him, right? The metaphor of walking in Jesus. And then the next one is rooted and built up with him, which is funny because it almost seems like a mixed metaphor here, right? Because I think of walking as like moving, and then I think of rooted as like you don't move, and they're back to back. But he wrote part of the Bible, so he gets to do whatever he wants. Okay, but anyway, that's what he says. Walk in him. That's the first image. The second image, rooted and built up in him. Why? Because he wants you to be established in the faith. That's the things he's talking about. Those of you who are in Jesus, you're walking with him. You're rooted in him. You're established in him. Established in the faith just as you were taught. Overflowing with gratitude. The people who are walking in him. The people who are rooted in him. The people who are established in him. And Jesus is their Lord. They are to be people who are overflowing with gratitude. Number five, our prayers should be characterized by thanksgiving. Philippians 4, 6 says, Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. How many of you have heard this verse before? Yeah, isn't it a fantastic verse? Like some of you, that maybe you know it for the same reason I know it, which is it's just one of those verses that you start to freak out, and then one of your Christian friends says, hey, there's a verse about this, All right? And this is the verse. I mean, there's more than one, but this is one of them. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, right? They, that, that, that when you get to a point where you're freaking out and you're stressing out, the Bible actually would say, hey, you don't need to worry. You don't need to worry. Instead, pray. Rather than worry, pray. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The Bible view is, hey, instead of freaking out, pray about it and make whatever request to God that you need. But what's interesting with this verse is it doesn't just say that. It doesn't say, hey, when you're worried, pray to God, right? Through prayer and petition, let your requests be made known to God. That's not what he said. He said, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That when you're filled with anxiety and you decide, I'm going to pray about this instead of worry about it, you're supposed to ask God for whatever you need, but don't just ask him for what you need. You're supposed to thank him for what he's already given you. Colossians 4.2 says, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. We should pray thankful prayers. So my question for you is, do you do that like regularly? Do you regularly pray thankful prayers? Number six, thanksgiving is worship. Thanksgiving is worship. Psalm 100 verse 4 says this, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. What you see in that psalm is an example of something called parallelism. Parallelism is something that there's, you see a lot of it in Hebrew literature where there are a certain set of words and then you have like a word like and, and then you have um, a different set of words that are parallel to the first set of words, sometimes saying the exact same thing all over again. Um, you see it in the book of Psalms. I remember when we taught through the book of Proverbs here, like there's tons of parallelism in the book of Proverbs. Um, and so this is something that you see a lot in Hebrew literature. And in fact, you see it in just regular life too. Like we all use parallelism, whether you realize it or not, like you do it, we do it. Probably almost everyone in this room does it. It's just part of normal everyday English speak as well. So here's like an example. Imagine um, somebody says this. Imagine someone says, oh, earlier this summer, um, like right around 4th of July, I could not sleep that night, okay, because people were just rowdy in the streets and noisy all over the neighborhood. Do people talk like that? 
Yeah, I, I couldn't get any sleep because people were rowdy in the streets and they were noisy all over the neighborhood and I couldn't sleep. Okay, so what did the people do that night? Did they do two things or one thing? Well, according to the sentence, they were rowdy in the streets and they were noisy in the neighborhood. But you just intuitively knew that's just one thing, right? Noisy is the parallel to rowdy. Streets is the parallel to neighborhood. When that person said that, and people talk like that all the time, they basically said something, then said the word and, and then said it again with different words. We do that. We say things twice. Okay? Why do we do that? I don't know. I don't know. Humans do it. Okay? We say stuff, then we say it again. <laughs> I just did it. Okay? So, so Hebrew literature does it a whole bunch as well. And this is an example of it. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. I don't think that's two things. I don't think he's telling him to do two things. That's one thing. Gates is the parallel to courts and thanksgiving is the parallel to praise. Thanksgiving is praise. It's worship. Like when you're praising God, you're thanking. When you're thanking God, you're praising him. Uh, Revelation chapter 7, verses 11 and 12 um, say something also on this topic. This is a passage that Kenan read to us, I think it was two Sundays ago. And it's a vision of heaven. And so I'll read it again. It says, All the angels stood around the throne, the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell face down before the throne, and they worshipped God, saying... Now, I want you to notice, what are the words they said when they worshipped God? This is what they said. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and what? Now, how did the holiday get into the vision of heaven? That's crazy, isn't it? No, because it's definition number one, Right? Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. God is worthy of our thanksgiving. Number seven, thanksgiving is motivated by the truth that God owes us nothing. I think this is a huge one. I think it's really important to get, and I don't have a verse that just says that directly and easily, just re-says what I just said. So I'm going to have to I'm, I'm, it's logical, and I hope you will follow my line of reasoning as to why I believe the Bible teaches this and why it's important. Thanksgiving is motivated by the truth that God owes us nothing. Let's start with the idea that God owes us nothing. Okay, so here we are. Romans chapter 11, starting verse 34. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has ever been his counselor? Let's stop right there. Those are questions. What kind of questions are they? Okay, good. Rhetorical questions. Rhetorical questions mean you're supposed to just assume that you're not supposed to, like, you're not supposed to try to answer it. Who has been his counselor? You're not supposed to go like, I don't know. Who is, we just got to figure that out. Who's the Lord's therapist? I don't know. Anybody know? Anybody know who God's therapist is? No, he doesn't have one. That's, that's why it's rhetorical. There, he doesn't, God doesn't go to anyone for advice, right? Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who, who gives God advice? Nobody knows. No, nobody does. God knows everything. God knows everything. He doesn't go to anybody and, and try to go, I don't, I don't know what to do. Do you know what to do? That never happens. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Now, the next is another rhetorical question with the same answer, the same answer. Nobody. Here's the question. Or who has ever first given to him and has to be repaid? It's the same answer as the first two questions. Nobody. He doesn't have any counselors and he doesn't have any creditors, Right? He doesn't owe anybody anything. Nobody has ever first given to God so that God could go, oh, thank you for that. I'm a little richer than I was before. No one has ever done that. God doesn't owe anybody anything. And one of the things I like about this verse, and especially the way it's translated here, is it says, who has ever first given to him and has to be repaid? I don't think that this verse is denying that people give things to God. 
Like we, there are people who give things to God. We have given to him. In the Old Testament, there are offerings that were given to God. In the New Testament, it talks about sacrifices that we give to God, whether it's the things that come out of our mouth to praise him, or whether it's like in Romans 12, our whole life we live as an offering to God. So we do give things to God, but we've never first given anything to God in order to have to be repaid. All, all we could give to him is, is something that we first got from him. Does that make sense? There's... There's a band from the 90s that had a really cool name. It, it, they, they got their name from uh, one of the works of C.S. Lewis. And I remember one time seeing them. They were on TV, and they explained where they got their band name. I know some of you are young enough here that you, don't, you know a whole lot of 90s bands, and that's fine. You don't, ha you don't have to even know this. But the name of the band was Sixpence on the Richer. Um, they were, you remember them? Yeah, they were kind of a one-hit wonder. They just they had one really big song um, from that, that one movie, whatever it was, with the girl. She came down the stairs. doesn't matter. Anyway, they had the big song. And um, Sixpence and the Richer was their name, and she, the, lead singer of that, um, the lead singer of that band one time explained where they got the name from, and it was from the works of C.S. Lewis, that there's apparently a story in some of, somewhere in his writings where there's a father, and the father gives a sixpence to his son, and then the son goes to the market and buys something, and then goes back home and gives it to his father as a gift. And the father is happy to receive the gift from his son, but the father is sixpence, none the richer. Right? He's not any richer for it. The gift that was given to him was paid for by him. And that's what's going on here. Who has first given to the Lord the SB repaid? Nobody. Right? Well, why? Because for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. God doesn't owe us anything. That's very important related to Thanksgiving. Now let me go show you one more verse and we'll put it all together. Romans 6.23, great little sentence. It's at the end of a chapter, and there's a lot of good like, Christian theology really summarized in this one sentence. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What we see in this verse is, is more parallelism, but in this case it's contrasting parallelism. We've got wages, and wages contrasts with gift, and then we have death, which contrasts with life. So we've got wages that lead to death, and we've got a gift that leads to life. So what are wages? I mean, this verse tells us the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life. What does it mean? What are wages? I'm guessing most of you know what wages are. In fact, probably most of you in this room, you, you get some wages, don't you? Right? You know what wages are. You get a paycheck, you work, and you get money. Wages are what you have earned or deserve, right? What's interesting about this verse is we already talked about there's a sense in which God doesn't owe us anything. But then in this verse, it's weird. There's a sense in which he does owe us something. Like there, are, there is something we have earned that we do deserve. And what is it? Death. So in one sense, we could say God owes us nothing. In another sense, we can go, well, actually, no, God does owe us something. He owes us death. Like if he's just and he gives us what we've earned, if he gives us what we deserve, yeah, he should just crush us. He should snuff us out. He should punish us. He should judge us. He should separate himself from us for all of eternity. So there is a sense in which he owes us something. The wages of sin is death. Those of us who have sinned, those of us who have rebelled against him, which is everyone, what, there is something we have coming our way. It's death. And then the second half of the verse says, but the gift. So gift contrasts with wages. Gift is a totally different word than wages, right? It's almost the opposite thing, right? A gift is unearned. It's undeserved. It's unmerited. A gift is by grace. The word in the Greek is related to the word grace, right? It's, the, it's undeserved, so there is that which you deserve, death, and then there's the undeserved, and what is it? The gift is from God, and it's eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The people who believe in Jesus receive a gift of eternal life. A gift is by grace. This is so important for you to get. 
Eternal life is not a payment for services rendered. Now you may go, okay, so why are you bringing this up? Uh, What does this have to do with thanksgiving? If God owes us nothing except the death that we deserve, and if there is a gift that he gives us of eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, like that idea of understanding what is deserved and what is unearned, what he owes us and what he does not owe us, all of that is going to have a lot to do with your attitude when it comes to thankfulness. So, so I guess what I'm saying is think of the wages. For those of you who are in this room and you get a paycheck, I'm going to guess, I'm just going to guess that probably no one in this room writes a thank you letter to their employer every single time you get a paycheck. Do you do that? Every single time you get a paycheck, you write a thank you note. Oh, thank you so much. Did not see this coming. I really appreciated it. So, so kind of you. I don't deserve this, right? No, none of you, none of you do that. None of you send thank you notes to the one who was legally obligated to give it to you because you earned it. But if someone gives you a gift, if someone gives you a lavish gift, a gift that is so huge that you're going, whoa, whoa, I didn't even know we had that kind of a relationship, you're going to thank them for it because it is unearned. Thanksgiving is motivated by the truth that God owes us nothing and yet gives us things. If your relationship with God is primarily transactional, that is like, God, I do good things and then you owe me. I think you are going to have a re- that's going to greatly hurt your ability to live a life overflowing with gratitude. But if you are someone who views God's goodness, even his rewards, as coming from his grace, then you will be able to worship him and thank him. If you view God's goodness, even his rewards, and I throw that in there because I can imagine someone might go, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I get the whole grace thing, but doesn't the Bible sometimes say things like, if you do this, he'll do this? Doesn't the Bible sometimes say, hey, this is a good thing that God wants you to do, and then if you do this good thing, he will reward you? Oh, yes, all over the Bible. Tons of things in the Bible about do this, and then, and then I'll do this. There's tons of like uh, do this and, and rewards in the Bible. But it's important to realize, but the do this is something you are only able to do because he's the one who enabled you to do the this. And so God's goodness, including his rewards, all come from his grace. And when we understand that, we are motivated to worship him and to thank him. Number eight, thanksgiving is a response to the gospel. Colossians 1, starting in verse 11, says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. So this is Paul talking to these Christians. He's wishing good things for them. Okay, I hope that you will be strong. I hope that he, God, will strengthen you. May you be strengthened with all power according to his might. I hope that God will strengthen you for all endurance and patience. I hope that you will be someone who will endure and have patience because God strengthens you to do that with joy. I hope that God enables you to have strength and endurance and patience with joy. And then do what? Giving thanks. I want you to be strong, enduring, patient, joyful people who give thanks to the Father. Why? Why would we be giving thanks to the Father? Well, look how it describes the Father in the verse. Giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins in Him. That's the gospel that He's describing there. Why would I give thanks to the Father? Because look at all these things He's done for us. We have redemption in Him. He purchased us 
to be in his family. We have forgiveness of sins in him, right? He cleanses us from the things that we've done wrong. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness. That's where we were before we knew him, right? You're there in Satan's kingdom doing your thing. And he rescues you out of the domain of darkness and then does what? Transfers us into the kingdom of the son he loves. That's fantastic that he has done this for us. He has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance, saints being the called out ones, the people of God, the people who, who know God, his followers, and they receive an inheritance. What is that? That is the salvation of God that is living with him forever and, and the forgiveness and the redemption. And so he's describing God as one who is a redeemer and a forgiver and a transferer, right? And a rescuer. And, and, and so what do we do with all that? Give thanks. That's the reason you were thanking him. Giving thanks is a response to the gospel. And then number nine, ungratefulness is a warning sign. Ungratefulness is a warning sign. I'm going to read to you um, a couple of verses from Romans chapter one. These are verses that I actually read to you two weeks ago. It was in our final sermon in the series on doubt. And I read to you these verses and I'm going to read them again. And this time I'm just going to focus instead of on the doubt part, I'm going to focus on a different aspect of these verses. But Romans chapter 1, so hopefully this will sound familiar. It was just two weeks ago we learned this. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Do you remember that? You guys remember that from a couple weeks ago? So we have these people that God's wrath is revealed, right? Against all godlessness and unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. And then the next two verses are verses 19 and 20. I'm going to skip them for now, but I did not skip them two weeks ago. We learned the whole passage at that time. But for this case, I just want to skip straight to verse 21. And verse 21, just so you know, is still talking about the same people that were brought up in verse 18, okay? The people who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. Still talking about them. It says, for though they knew God, those who suppress the truth, though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or what? Or show gratitude. Did you even catch that two weeks ago? We just kind of went over it. They did not glorify God. They did not glorify man's God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense and their senseless minds were darkened. Why in the world is gratitude in this section of the Bible? Like it almost does, it almost sticks out as weird in the list, doesn't it? Like you I feel like show gratitude sometimes is something we think is just sort of this optional, not a big deal thing. We teach it to our kids. Okay, now go tell grandma thank you because she gave you a candy cane. Go tell her thank you. You know, and we think like this isn't a big deal. And then we read in this passage, like we're talking about the godless and the unrighteous. God's wrath is being revealed. They're suppressing the truth. Their senseless minds are dark and they don't glorify him and they don't show gratitude. How did that get in here? right? It almost seems like it doesn't fit in the list. Have you ever had someone give you a list and you're like, I feel like one of these things doesn't fit with the rest of them? I mean, I remember when I was a youth pastor, there was this woman that came to me for advice. She needed some counsel. She, uh, she was a mother of a teenage girl. And so she came to my office, made an appointment, whatever, and said she needed to talk with me uh, because she wanted help with figuring out how to deal with her teenage daughter. The girl was like eighth or ninth grade. And so she came in and she said, and I, don't, I don't think I'm ever going to forget this conversation. She came in and she said, I do not know what to do about my daughter. She is out of control. She is doing drugs. She cracks her knuckles. She is sleeping with boys in her class. And she wears bandanas. And I just, I just don't even know what to do about it. And I sat there and yeah, I probably had a feeling like you have right now. I sat there and went, 
it, it seems to me one of the problems might be you think that all four of those things are equally problematic <laughs> and they are not, right? It was shocking to me that she would put cracking her knuckles and wearing bandanas in the same list with sleeping with the boys and doing drugs. Like I just, but I could, the way she said it, it was like they were all equally embarrassing to her. They were all equally important to her. And I was thinking like, I think that's a problem right there. You don't realize there's even a difference here. These things are wildly different. So here's the question. When we come to Romans chapter one, is, is, is show gratitude one of those things that's not really supposed to be in there because like this stuff's all serious and this is just the thing that doesn't fit the list? And here's the thing, okay? I mean, is, is not showing gratitude that big of a deal? And the answer is yes. And here's why. You want to know why? Because this is the word of God, not that lady, Right? And so the way he reveals it to us is there's people who suppress the truth, they don't glorify him as God, and they don't show gratitude. And their thinking becomes senseless. Is not showing gratitude a big deal? Yes, it is a characteristic of the godless and the unrighteous. It's kind of the flip side of point number four. Remember point number four? Thanksgiving is supposed to be an attribute of someone walking with Jesus. Ungratefulness would be an attribute of someone who does not glorify him as God and does not show gratitude. And so I wanted to end with this ungratefulness is a warning sign. Ungratefulness is a warning sign that either A, you do not belong to God, or B, you are living out of step with who you are. It's got to be one of those two things. Gratefulness is a warning sign that either A, you do not belong to God, you do not glorify him as God, and so therefore you do not show gratitude, just like Romans 1 says, or it could be you do know God, you are one of his children and you are living out of step with who he has made you to be. And the reason why I think it's possible, first of all, the reason I think it's possible that you could not belong to God and, and therefore not show gratitude is because that's what it says. But I also think it's possible that you could be someone who knows God and, you are, and you're in a moment where you're not showing gratitude. You have an attitude of like, you know, discontent and ungratefulness and I deserve. And, and the reason I think that's possible is because the Bible over and over again commands us to be thankful. So I'm thinking if the Bible tells us to be thankful, the implication is it's possible that we could not be thankful, right? If it's commanded, the implication is there, that you could choose to not do it. The Bible does not very often, in fact, I don't know if I can think of anywhere where the Bible tells us to do things that we just automatically do. I don't know if you know this, but like, there's no Bible verse that says like, breathe, take another breath, when you're done with that one, take another breath. Like the Bible doesn't ever tell you to breathe. It just assumes you will do that automatically. Apparently, thanking God is not like breathing. It's not automatic. It's, it's, a, it's a choice that you make or don't make. And so over and over again, the Bible, primarily written to people who already know God, it says to the people who already know God, that is a choice you do need to make over and over and over again. Thanksgiving. And so ungratefulness is a warning sign. You either do not belong to God or you're living out of step with who you are. And if you wonder, well, now, then what do I do? Okay, what if, I mean, if, if you're someone who goes, I, 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 if I have this discontent, ungrateful life, what should I do? This is what's so great. The action that is required of you is the same either way. It's repentance and faith. Ungratefulness is a warning sign, and whether you are someone who doesn't belong to God or you're living out of step with who you are, it's the same actions that are required of you. Repentance and faith. Repentance is a word meaning Turn away from the old you. Turn away from the way you were going, the way you were walking. Walk the other way. Walk toward God. Walk toward Jesus. And faith, being trust in him, believe in him. 
Repentance and faith is I turn from my ways, I turn to God's ways. I turn from my, me being the king of my life, and I trust in you, God, as the king of my life. And that is essentially the same thing as becoming a Christian. That's becoming a follower of Jesus. Repentance and faith. And that's very important. I'm going to go ahead and say something. I, I, I didn't originally plan to say this, and then it just came to my mind this morning, and hopefully it's worth saying rather than not saying but I was thinking about it, and I think that if we are someone who does not know God and is ungrateful, I think it's important for you to notice that, it, that it's kind of killing you. That ungratefulness destroys us, and, and I don't know if you notice this or not, but there's, there's a proverb in the book of Proverbs, and I, this is not going to come up on the screen because I didn't tell them, I didn't plan on doing this ahead of time, I didn't even look it up. I don't remember where it is in Proverbs, but you can f- Google it, you'll find it. There's a proverb that says... Um, a tranquil heart gives like life to the body or health to the body. But jealousy rots the bones. And it seems to be one of those pieces of wisdom in the book of Proverbs that, that identifies that there is something on the inside of us, a heart, right? When we have a tranquil heart, when the, the inside of us, whatever you want to call that, your heart, your soul, your spirit, when your spirit is at peace and right, it affects your body positively. But jealousy rots the bones, the other half of the Proverbs, seems to say when that thing inside you is not right, right? When there is this discontent and this, I wish I had what she had, when there's this jealousy, the Proverbs says it rots the bones. It seems like there's something about, the, when, when something is un, unhealthy on the inside of you, it affects your body. Now, we already know that even, right? Like science knows that. You probably knew that before you walked in here, right? When inner you is healthy, it affects the outer you that people can see. And when inner you is messed up, it even affects your body and the outer you, right? Now, I realize that verse says jealousy and not ungratefulness, but I think that the principle is the same. That this ungrateful, discontent, envious, jealous, I deserve better than this sort of inside I think it's killing you. I think it's destroying our culture. And I think it's something you, you just, you know that. You can see that. And so one of the reasons you need to repent and turn to Jesus is you need to be saved from that. I suspect it's very possible that hell is that just extended after you die. That we live in this world and there's this soul sickness that's destroying us and it just doesn't end when you die. It keeps going. I'm not saying that's all that hell is. I think hell is more than that. But I would think it would at least be that. A soul sickness that never is repented of and therefore it's never healed. And then if you're here today and you go, okay, well, wait a minute, but I'm, I am a believer in Jesus Christ. So I realize if I'm not a Christian, then yeah, I got to repent and I got to turn from my ways and I believe in Jesus. But if I'm a Christian, what am I supposed to do? The very same thing, repentance and faith. That I... I, I as I'm walking down the road and I'm veering off God's course, I need to repent. I need to turn back. I need to turn to a different direction. I need to go back to Jesus. I need to trust him. I need to, I, I, repentance is what you, you're, you're already believer in Jesus and you go, up. Oh, I went off course. I turn. I come back to you, God, and I continue to trust you. I continue to believe in you. And I'm not saying that makes you become a Christian again. I want to be clear. This is not like, okay, so that, that makes you a Christian. So if you're a Christian and you repent in faith, you're, in other words, every time you're ungrateful, you're out of the club. And then every time you're grateful again, you're back in the club. No, 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 no. You're in the club the whole time, all right? But that's what we do in this club. We repent and believe. 
I can remember um, in my 20s, I heard a pastor say something like this. He said, the way that you began in Christ is the same way you continue in Christ. We continually turn toward him and continually keep trusting him. So that is nine truths about Thanksgiving. I'm going to pray now, and then we're going to prepare ourselves for Lord's Supper. God, I ask that you would make us into a grateful congregation. Please make us a grateful people. I pray for anybody in here who does not know you, that this might be the thing. Be weird. I don't, I don't even know a lot of people who became Christians because they realized there was an ungratefulness within them. And yet, I, based on your word, I don't see any reason with... N- not allowing that to be the thing that, that draws our attention to our need for you. And so I do pray, if there's anybody here who does not know you, that they would turn from their I deserve and their ungratefulness, and that they would turn to you. They would trust in you. They would repent of their sins, and they would believe in you as their Lord and Savior. And I pray that for those of us who are in this room who realize, whoa, I have stepped off the trail. I need to turn back. I need to turn again. I need to go back. I need to trust God again. I need to go back to where I was. And so I pray you'd help us to turn. I pray you'd help us to be the repenters and the believers that you've made us to be. I pray you'd help us to conform to your word. And then when we do that, we will thank you for it, knowing it's not because we're so great. You're the one that enables us to do what you've called us to do. And so we thank you even for that. I thank you for this time of communion, and I pray that we would celebrate your death on the cross for us well. And I just ask, please, make us into a grateful people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Good words from God's word. Although before I do, I just want to clarify something real quick. This should take like one minute. You can stay standing. Um, the thing that I said in the sermon that... I said I wasn't planning on saying this, and then I did. I just wanted to be clear. I was not intending to communicate that every single time someone has a sickness in their body, it is due to a sin that they have committed. All right, the Bible is clear on that. Germs are real, and they attack holy people and unholy people. Um, the, The thing I was just trying to point out is there is a connection between our spirit and our body, and the bigger point I was trying to point out is why I think ungratefulness can be an eternal problem is because it's a problem right now. That was the thing I was trying to say. I just didn't want anyone to feel real guilty because they got a cold or something like that. Um, Psalm 136, hear these good words from God's word. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. That is good news.